You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here we go, Sherry. One, two, three. Let Sherry baby rock your soul. She's gonna help you break the mold. She's super magic, truth be told. Ooh, oh, oh, oh. Got lots and lots of musical Conviviality, sexuality, quality time on the air, quality time on the air, quality time on the air with Sherry. Cause and effect. Hi, y'all. So this is Elijah Caldwell, aka This Is Caldwell, and I am with the team from Roxy Audition. I'm on a microphone, so you know that was a silent chair. Um, as many of you know or may not know, I am a music associate. I uh, have done music notes. I have arranged. I teach in the classroom. I have accompanied. I have performed with uh, the mother of the house, Sherry Sanders. Um, and I just, I wanted to introduce myself. And, you know, I always like to say that I am bringing you the Black queer cis male opinion. That is my opinion. So anytime that you hear me speak, I want to repeat that this opinion is coming from a black queer cis male opinion. So there you have it. I am going to pass it along to my good friend, Mary Nixon. Thank you so much, Elijah. Um, As Elijah said, my name is Mary Nixon. Um, I use they, them pronouns. And I am so excited to be here today. I am a teacher. I am a collaborator. And um, I was born and raised in upstate New York. And now I've spent a lot of time traveling the country and just soaking up as much as I can. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of this conversation that I feel like is not only long overdue, but extremely important. Now, um, I'm going to pass the mic to my good friend, Mark. I am named Mark Mendez Munoz, and I am a current, almost graduating senior from Oklahoma City University and Music Theater. I am also a, a co-founder and co-creator of OCU Care, which is the Care Coalition's um, first branch at the collegiate level here at Oklahoma City University. I use he, they pronouns. Um, I, similar to what Elijah told you earlier, I basically, and this is my, this is my brown, non-binary, queer, disabled, that person opinion on many things. So there's a lot of opinions, but um, I am so excited to get to do this work and to talk with these amazing people with our shared auntie, Miss Sherry. And I am going to pass the mic to Queen LaDonna Burns. Hello, everybody. My name is LaDonna Burns, and I am a teacher and collaborator of Rock the Audition, 
I bring the diva on the street point of view to rock the audition because I am a grown and sexy black woman. So that is the truth I live in. And that are the, these are the facts that I give. So what you hear from me is the life I've lived. And that's my opinion. So have that. Come on, come on. I do let Yes. Uh, um, so let's, let's dive in y'all. We have a lot to do and not, not, not enough time to do it. So, um, Mary, would you love to kick us off? Um, sure. I would love to start. Um, so I feel like we are all so excited for this new version of Rock the Audition for so many different reasons. Um, I could truly give you a laundry list of all of the things that make me so excited about this. Uh, but I think one of the most important things that I want to talk about today is how we have changed our technique and how, um, and how we have changed the focus of the training in general. And so instead of projecting consciousness into historical context or creating a character around a historical context, we are focused on living within the energy of any given piece of music. And we're doing this because, honestly, the industry asks marginalized people um, to go through a lot of different traumatic experiences, uncomfortable emotional experiences, and just sacrifice a lot of their autonomy in order to be successful in the industry. And after we sat down and talked about it, I, on, I realized that this was coming from a place of almost generational trauma and that we were we were sacrificing ourselves for the sake of art that we didn't even have a hand in creating. And so we wanted to create a method that would help artists see themselves in the art without triggering that trauma and without putting themselves in unsafe historical circumstances. Um, and while we're still based in the research and grounding yourself in the knowledge of any given era, we're focusing on how the music affects you versus how history does. I feel like, especially at this point in 2021, it's no secret that there is an industry-wide issue with not only representation, but the way we go about the conversation of representation. And it, it's also no secret that our industry has been run by white men since its actual conception in the 1900s and even beyond that. So it makes sense that almost our entire theater canon is centered around straight white people. Um, and marginalized people, we talk about this we talk about this a lot in the book, but marginalized people have been forcibly removed from history to honestly perpetuate the idea of white supremacy. And it's past time to refocus our narratives to serve the people who actually make this industry run. You know, if you think about it, we have a lack of autonomous representation. And by that, a perfect example is looking at something like Hairspray. None of the black characters in Hairspray actually exist for reasons beyond teaching the white people something. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think about how we have traumatic material and we don't talk about the trauma inside that traumatic material. I personally did a production of Parade 
And we never once spoke about either anti-Semitism or segregation in the entire rehearsal process. And that ended up only hurting the Jewish and Black students because they're the people who have to bear the weight of that generational trauma, as I talked about before, whereas my white colleagues were having a great time in the show. And I was having panic attacks backstage every single night. And so this is what we're focused on. This is what the conversation is. And I feel like through this book, we will see where we go. I think everybody's voice is equally important. And I'm very excited to see what comes next. Um, yes, Mary. Um, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to jump back in here. Once again, this is Elijah. Okay. This is called well. Also another segment that we have is called reality check. So this whole next state part is going to be a part of my reality check. So here we go. So Sherry, Sherry and I um, are part of Matthew Corzine uh, studios. Like we're part of the acting studios Meisner and the definition of acting as we know it is acting is living and behaving truthfully and fully under imaginary circumstances. So let me break that down for you again. Acting is living, AKA breathing, behaving your point of view, what most people leave out of their lives and their acting fully and truthfully your entire truth under imaginary circumstances. So before we even get to what is written for you in the show, you have to know how you feel and live in the world of a musical, right? So there, that is nugget one. Nugget two is, well, this is Rock the Audition. So what does that mean? Well, then you have to look at the history, right? So that's what also we gave to you in this new version of the book. We we address the facts. History gives you facts. It was said, it was in writing, and we didn't gloss over it this time. Yeah? So you have to think, when people were, the beginnings of music, musical theater came from people who wrote standards, right? And they were writing standards to be on the radio and trying to break into TV, film, and um, musicals. It is doing the opposite this day, these days. If you think of the top composers, they're writing musicals and trying to break into the radio music entertainment scene. Yes. Um, so you have to think it all is connected. It has been connected since the beginning of time. Also, we have to say that a lot of these people got these things from Black people. This is, once again, my Black queer cis male opinion. However, I have the facts to back it up. So when you take these techniques, what I me personally am trying to bring to rock the audition is a reclaiming of how you act in musicals, right? And how you act in pop rock because everything is connected. We, my favorite example is to look at Oklahoma. Yeah. It, it was in what? The Indian territory. You can look that up. That was how it was called right in the 1860s. Oklahoma is where next to Texas, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi. So it's in the South, right? What was happening then? Slavery. Also, what else was being written or being built? The uh, Transcontinental Railroad. So the Asian or Asian community was also here. Also, the Mexican Revolution War was also happening during that time. Everyone was a part. Also, that means everybody's different cultures and everybody's different music was also a part and inspiring what America. So, therefore, that's what I want to bring is that you can come in and sing your culture for a golden age musical and I'm you can't see me but I am using quotes because it's like what what was so golden <laughs> okay yeah. um uh-huh. say it louder say it louder <laughs> say it louder what was so golden correct <sighs> what was so golden so that that to say this is what the technique this is the what we want the technique to do we want the music to wash over you 
and then also be a part of you before you even start to live in these imaginary circumstances. I don't care if you can live in the 80s, 50s, 40s, 30s, if you don't have a point of view about what it is to live there. And if you were illegal, or if you were enslaved, or if you weren't enslaved. I'm teaching a, a class at a college that I teach at about the Five Points District, yeah? And do you know what? who was there? That, that if for the folks that do not know, that is now at the current days, Chinatown. You know who all lived there? Immigrants that were from China, the Irish that were immigrants, and also free Blacks. This was also in the 1800s. So therefore, when you start looking at history and how it envelops how you teach people and you take the Eurosyncrasies out of it, then you're left with facts. And that's what I'm trying to bring with Rock the Audition. And I have spoken enough. I'm going to pass it right on over to Miss LaDonna Burns. How am I supposed to follow that? (laughs) (laughs) You can, LaDonna, you can. But yes, that was amazing. Even though I want to piggyback on the golden age comment, Mm -hmm. because for people of color, the golden age is nothing but a golden calf, which is a false idol that none of us could ever attain. Boom. There it is. I think the big issue that needs to be addressed when we come back, when the business comes back, is the lack of representation, not just on the stage, but behind the scenes. And once we fix that, then we don't have those problems like Mary talked about. That has always been my number one complaint when doing any show. I'm thinking, and I'm having a hard time. You see, I'm like, have I ever had a Black director? No. (laughs) I can't. I'm really struggling to think of if I've ever had a Black director. And especially the number of shows I've done that are centered around Black experience, I've never had one. Fortunately, I have worked for several women. They were white and Jewish women, but they were very aware and made it their point to think about the people of color in the cast and ask our opinions about things But what they also did was they did their research, too. And that is why I will continue to work with these women whenever they call me for any project, because they've done the work. You can't always rely on the people on the stage to just do the work. Everybody needs to do the work. The the people that are doing the design, the costumes, the choreography, all of it. I need to know you did the work. There never should be a time, and you know this is a sore subject for me, holla if you hear me always gets me. Because my big complaint with that piece was they had a low rider on stage that whole time they were working on. And it never once bounced in California love. What that tells me is that you don't know hip hop. You don't know West Coast hip hop. You never watched the video for California Love. You know nothing about West Coast culture. How can you do a show about Tupac and not know this tiny fact? 
He's not from Atlanta. It's always been a sticking point for me because whenever I attack any piece, I do so much research. Like, it's sickening. People are like, why do you know so much? And I'm like, why don't you? Because I think it's a responsibility of anyone that says they're going to put a piece on stage, be it an actor, a producer, a director, you all should know what you're talking about. Don't leave the heavy lifting to me all the time. But to bring it back to about the audition, the way this applies, what I find when I'm teaching people, because I teach young and old, the young culture, they don't know the history. I, I'm Whenever I come across a young person that is knows their history and can talk about music from the 50s and, and to today, I am so pleasantly surprised and proud of them because I know for myself, I wasn't born in the 50s. I wasn't around, but I always knew that music. Thankfully, I thank God for my family because I know they're the reason. And what I usually find out is the people that do know is because of their family, too. They had music in the house. So what Rock the Audition brings to, to the younger generation is giving them the permission to actually listen to things. Take some time out. Just listen to music. I don't think people do that. I know for me, the way I listened to music was on the radio. Driving anywhere just turn the radio on. That's how I got exposed to everything. Now you have Spotify. You have those. Listen to channels. Just go one day and say, I want to hear some 50s music and see what you find. For the older generation, I think this Rock the Audition is great because it finally gives them permission to be themselves. Because they have been beaten to death with, you are a type, you are a type, you only can do this. And they're afraid. They're so afraid to open themselves up. I mean, I had a student that was just like, I love Motown music. I love Linda Ronstadt, but they don't want me to sing that. I'm like, miss, if you don't sing that Linda Ronstadt music like you are born to do, do it. And then she was afraid to sing Miley Cyrus because she was afraid as an older person, she couldn't have access to something like that. I said, but the history... And your past that you bring to that Miley Cyrus song is something someone younger could never do. And so what I think Rock the Audition does is empower people to really, truly bring themselves into their performances instead of like trying to do a character study. Just bring yourself. That's what I have to say. Um, I want to jump back in and uh, piggyback off of that for everyone, like not just Spotify, but when you're when you're around and like when the world opens up and you're hanging with people or you're by yourself or you're like, whatever, y'all put on YouTube, literally <laughs> put, put on YouTube, because like when you put on YouTube, you can actually watch what exactly those performances were. And and there is a plethora. That's the library. That's the library that keeps on giving. It's real people performing. Yes. Thank you, Cher. Like, the, it, it is real people performing that are stars, that are the music that you want to do. And also, it will lead you to people that you probably have never heard of in your life. 
or that you may have, you may never know. And then it also, I know we all like to talk about the generations. Like that's something that we have sort of replaced in our, um, our verbiage is using the generations, right? We all know Beyonce, but like, who is Whitney Houston to Beyonce? Who is Shaka Khan to Beyonce? Who is Nina Simone to Beyonce? Who is Ethel Waters to Beyonce? Who is Billie Holiday to Beyonce? Like you can literally see the degradation, right? It is the same way. Who is Elvis to Michael McDonald to Sting to uh, Mark Broussard to Alan Stone, right? Who Look at this lineage, y'all. I guarantee you will find similarities and then you will have a plethora of things that you go in for a hairspray or a grease and you don't have to sing Tutti Frutti on Louie. You don't. There's other things you can sing, right? So I just want to jump in and say that. Do your research. That's the thing that you need to take is do your research. And that's for everything in life. That doing your research, having the knowledge, having the history sets you up for the best. And now I'm going to pass it on to Mark. Hi. Oh, everybody. Um, I where I come at this from is because I'm specifically in um still in school. And I, I really see the impact in academia where this where this book and this work lives. And I um, I, th- to me, that's where it all really starts because we now live in an era where essentially to have enough of a springboard into the business, um, you need to go to school or training of some kind. We're now, we're now living in this time of post, I say like post 2010 is where that started really becoming a thing in music theater programs were like the standard. And I am lucky enough to have studied this book and, um, had teachers who have helped us with this um, content. And I think it's, that is what is needed so much because there are still so many students and my fellow colleagues coming out of school recently after me, years before me that are just so like LaDonna was saying, just so not knowledgeable about where the, all of these things stem from all of this music and all of the, factors that go into privilege in a PWI. Um, a, like, and now PWI, one of my favorite terms, predominantly white institution, for those who do not know, um, that is what most universities in uh, at least America, I will speak for, are, are predominantly white institutions and specifically music and music theater programs because the canon is so geared towards the white men that created and are still sustained sustaining and keeping their encapsulated power in this industry, it is still being centered around that at our university. So there's not a lot of change, or there has not been a lot of change in our culture as this pipeline of music theater major to the New York market, to the LA market, to regional theater, to Chicago. So that is where my specific take of just the knowledge of knowing that you are an institution or you may have white privilege um, is so important, especially to younger, I say younger, like around my age, around 20, early 20s, um, leaving, going into the real world, because then it's a snowball effect where that 20-year-old with no knowledge becomes a 30-year-old with no knowledge, becomes a 40-year-old with no knowledge, and that 40-year-old with no knowledge of this is now teaching at another PWI to more students and it's a snowball effect. So it like, and again, cause and effect, that's the entire 
like podcast, there we go, is there is a just a lack of knowledge at a institutional level within academia that I'm here to change and we're all here to change, but I but it's something I've seen very like firsthand very recently still happening. So luckily we now are in this tying this back to Rock the Audition, that's where things like CARE, the CARE Coalition at the university level are so important. And not just in an auditioner's world, but as in an advocate's world of understanding the intersectionality between why does a show like Hairspray matter and what are the problems with it? And looking at the same thing with a curious um, incident where we look at a disa- the disabled community and where it is a great, it is a great piece of art but there are still problems with this representation and specifically who we are hiring to represent this character and say on an even bigger scale. Um, my, my version of uh, the Tupac show, Miss LaDonna is uh, Dear Van Hansen. The way I could go on about Dear Van Hansen. Um, it is the sense that this is a, this is an autistic character that has been consistently only ever played by, as we know, as, as, as the general public knows, um, neurotypical people. And that and that goes even farther into there have been two black Dearvin Hansons. There's only been one um, Asian American um, Evan Hansen. So that these there are they are all snowballed together. But yes, that is that's my little spiel for the moment. I wanted to say I think tying into what both Mark and Elijah have said that. I think the point we're trying to make is consciousness is key. We have to be conscious members of every relationship that we're in as human beings, just in general, but of every community that we're a part of, of every production that we're a part of, of every interaction that we have with one another. And I think that it has been socially acceptable to not pay attention to those things for so long. And we have to start employing that consciousness in every arena. And I think that um, rounding it back into how that relates to our industry is we have a duty as community members to do our research and historical grounding. We have to know the truth in order to move forward as members of community who actually know what not only know what happened but know how to move forward because if we if we live based on lies we perpetuate so many problematic destructive qualities of our society and our communities that just doesn't have a place anymore and especially for marginalized people i feel like it almost takes on a i'm i'm the generational emperor today <laughs> But I feel like it takes on this generational duty of knowing where your family came from, knowing where the people who forged their, who laid down their lives to forge a way for you came from and what their legacy is. And that is you. And so to deny your own autonomy to perform destructive theater that's going to traumatize you and perpetuate the suffering that they sacrificed so much to get your to get you out of is so irresponsible and i think that 
we also have not been given an opportunity to not do that before. And so this conversation is really opening up something that I think the entire industry needs to confront, like just for my own personal experience. And this is the end of my thing. But my, for example, my father was the first black man to integrate his college in rural Texas in the 1950s. And he went on to be a doctor and do so many different things. But if I lived my life as a mixed race person and ignored all of the pain, suffering, racism, and violence that he experienced. He had to be escorted to school every day by armed Texas Rangers because the Ku Klux Klan was marching in front of his school. It would be so... I I would be remiss to ignore that in my life because I do have the privilege that I don't have to experience what he did, but I have a duty to my community to care and to educate myself on how we move forward. Um, I would love, I, I, I love that. And I have, um, I, I'm not a mixed race person. This is Elijah Caldwell speaking. Um, and I, I, but I do have older parents, right? So I want to bring it back to the education that we're having and that this may get a little, ooh, for the industry people that are going to listen here, but whatever, we're opening the conversation. This is another reality check. So now that we have all, you know, have established that it's all cent- centered in whiteness, I need to let you all know that there are groups of people in America that didn't have that. They attended historic black colleges and universities. And so they were taught how not to center themselves in whiteness. They had black professors. They had black directors. They had, they were surrounded by, I can only speak from my point of view, which I said, once again, is a black queer cis male point of view. However, as has, having a father and a mother who integrated schools as well, being surrounded by blackness was a thing. And it's still a thing because it sometimes puts people out here to handle this business and be like, well, you know what? They just don't see me and that's going to be okay. Like, and that's sad that they have to say that, but like, I have talked to a lot of people who have attended HBCUs and they're like, all these people are coming from this, talking from PWI. Well, then why didn't y'all come here? That's a question. Listen, that choked me the first time I got asked that. And I was like, you know what? Why? Why? Because of the history of lies that was like historic black colleges and universities may lose your accreditation. You may lose accreditation when you get your degree. Um, These people are lesser than they don't have that much money. But why? Why? It's white supremacy. Right. So when you're not seeing black people and I once again, speaking from my own experience, um, who are coming into these rooms and presenting this kind of material, and you're not even seeing black people. Well, if we went to PWIs where we probably used to that. Whereas people that didn't go to PWIs, they'd be like, well, child, let me go somewhere where they want me. So then that's why you have Atlanta theater. And that's why you have the Chitlin circuit. And that's why you have all of these things that were created for us by us because we weren't being seen. So these things are out there and they have the education. Therefore, that's why you can ask people back in 19, uh, the 19 late seventies, early eighties to do gospel R and B Motown for dream girls. And only asking those demographics of people to do that because why they were raised that way. Mike drop. <laughs> I wish y'all could see Elijah right now. (laughs) (laughs) Sit back in that. Sit back in that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I want to just talk about 
from the from the point of view of someone that did not go to school for this, I think I'm almost better off because <laughs> I did not have someone telling me what I could and could not do in the business. And I went by my own experiences and what I like to do because I went to a PWI, but Hey, I got a full ride, so I was going where the money resides. You hear me? Where, where the, the money, money resides. resides. Where the money resides. Where the money resides. Where the money resides. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew where I was going. And I can only, I, I don't even want to imagine having to go through a experience at a PWI mm-hmm. as a person of color trying to navigate this industry. But I know a lot of my friends that are super successful and our people of color didn't go to school for this. And the reason we're successful is because we're going, we attack everything based on our knowledge and what we lived instead of what we were taught. So I always would seek out, I'm like, wait, there's a show called The Colored Museum, mm-hmm. which I just rewatched <laughs> everything. And so I always had a thirst to see myself on stage. So when I couldn't find it, I was digging around trying to find it and I found my way to it. But what you said about HBCUs are right. They come out ready. And when when they can't find what they want, they create it themselves. But you know, there's also a little something I want to say about the union because all these Chitlin Circuit shows, I'm using quotes again, Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of them are on the do not work list. They sure are. They sure are. Now, now there, I know there are some reasons, but I think if they would try to work with people, it might not have to be that way. But we know how the union I, can be I, about working with others. But also, the thing is, the Chitlin circuit also comes directly from vaudeville, so they wouldn't have their Broadway if they didn't have us. Oof. Well, and I feel like going back to what you said about um, being better off for not having gone to school for this, LaDonna, I feel like not only are especially students of color, but marginalized students of all kinds um, coming out of programs, having been told that either what they were presenting wasn't enough or that there was something wrong with what they were presenting, they are also... For a, in, in a lot of different situations, bearing the weight of four years of deeply rooted trauma um, in not only not being seen by their faculty, but not being seen by their peers. You know, for me, I and I love my classmates very much, but I was one of, I, I was in a class of 18 people and I was the only black person of any gender. <laughs> and... I remember, I'll never forget my senior year when uh, we bring casting directors to school. Um, I went to a professor and I was really concerned and panicked about not knowing whether to present what I felt was my authentic self or if I should present what I felt like they would want to see. Um, like if I should present my black book <laughs> versus like <laughs> my collection of songs which obviously still has black music in it but you know I have Brandy Carlisle and I have Amazing Maisie and I have ridiculous cuts that are so silly that I felt really I felt really scared to present and my professor a straight white man looked at me 
and he he in shock and said that he had never considered that before. And while I I appreciated his honesty, it did not help me as the black student in that situation. I then had to say, yeah, I know this, this, I know you haven't, and this is the problem. (laughs) And then I had to go home and make that choice for myself instead of having any kind of leadership be able to help me because, and it wasn't because they were being hateful. It was because they were white and they didn't understand. They were unaware. Which one did you pick? (laughs) That's what I want to know, Mary. What did you decide to do? So I ended up doing a mix based on, honestly, the the casting director slash agent. If I had heard from alumni of color that they wanted more stereotypical material, I would pull out the dragon from Shrek or, <laughs> um, you know, my big belty cuts that I don't really emotionally connect with because I knew they wanted that kind of vocal quality. Um, but for the most, for the most part, I, I, I stuck with my Brandy Carlisle, but it, it, I didn't, you know, as a 20, as a very fresh 21 year old coming out of college, who also wasn't raised around many black people, I had a really hard time conceptualizing what my choices even really were. And that is so endemic of 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 college musical theater or just music theater or theater programs in general um i had a similar struggle with the like with i'm because i'm currently going through the showcase process at my school um and luckily because of the efforts of that ocu care and sherry and rock the audition has done it at our school it's been less traumatic than many years past but my version of that is Essentially, I, as someone who presents pretty fluidly in on the non-binary spectrum between masculine and feminine energies, I, again, my large thing was like, okay, for this cut that I'm going to video for you, how do I present myself and what do I do? And I had a really great conversation with our casting director and um, the head of our, the, who is helping run our showcase and the head of our program, Dr. David Herendine, who is, a, who is marginalized himself. Um, and I feel like he would not... Um, he would not be mad if I said this, but he is, he just is a disabled person and he has consistently been a champion for me, at least as a fellow disabled person, but for care in general. And um, as a non-binary person, that was a hard line to kind of like, okay, there's a way, like you said, Mary, there's a way that the industry is going to perceive you, but there's also who you are. And so, and sometimes people are lucky enough for those identities to overlap and that's amazing but that is not the case in most times and i feel like that is something that is not talked about till it's almost i don't want to say too late but it's like at any program you spend three and a half years basically becoming this product that this program like is known for because every program is essentially known for one or two things that they push out and the last like i feel eight months are like okay now like be yourself figure out a way to like be yourself. And what you just spent three and a half years telling me that this is the box I must live in. And then now it's like, okay, well now we want to see everything. And it's, 
it's just like I the system is broken. That's really what it is. I feel that music theater programs and theater programs in general can be these amazing environments to foster artistry if they are allowed to be. Because that is the problem. Is that I I can only speak from my experience, but I, again, I have colleagues and peers all over the country in many different programs. OCU, at least where I am, is I feel much better about in in this recent times about showing the students that they feel represent themselves the best. Not necessarily the like this is the OCU product, and I'm so grateful that they have gone in this direction of saying these are the students that have figured out themselves and we are going to showcase them, which is hard. And I feel like that's usually the point of these showcases. And especially with people of color and marginalized communities, it's like, it's like we were talking about in the beginning, this sense of, okay, show me your trauma. Like that is what it, it boils down to be sometimes or most times I should say. And and there's points where, yes, the trauma can be used to create an, an experience that is very impactful, but at what cost to the performer? At what cost to you? And that is what I feel like this ties entirely back into RTA, is understanding that everything that you say and do in an audition room, as a teacher, as a student, everything you perform has a history and a meaning, no matter what you think. To any amount of to any group of people, amount of people, and you have to do that with respect. Just like Ladonna was saying, know what you're doing. That's what it boils down to. Know what you're doing, and know that there are some boundaries that you can and should not cross, and know that there are things that aren't necessarily boundaries that you may think that are boundaries um, that are ended up being making you special. And like, I think that's what institutions are trying to do is like show us what makes you special but what the problem is that they are not trained the teachers themselves are not trained themselves on how to get that get you to that so it's a lot of like i'm trying to figure out what this means for myself for every individual person because those teachers were not trained to do that for you they were trained to make you a product which is essentially what you are in an industry you're a commodity a lot of times because that's what the industry is, but it's, I think that's, that's what it is. That's what, that, that's what I'm trying to hit the button on is the line between, I know I am a, it, being an actor is weird. You're, you're a business, but you're also a product at the same time. It's very odd. Um, I'm a product, but I'm also a person. And where does that converge? And where do I ride that line of, I know that I am a part, a cog in a machine that is called a show or like, or whatever you're doing, but I'm also an individual who has a history that is unparalleled by anyone else. And how do I live in that while also being a functional part of this industry? And that's, I think the part that's missing in academia at least, but yeah. Well, and I wanted to add on super quickly that I feel like these programs, people, these programs, people in positions of power, they don't even need to necessarily tell you that this is your box, they show you. They show you through so through their actions. They show you through their casting. They show you, I mean, f- for example, I was cast as only 70-year-old plus women for the first two years of my c- college experience, and it gave me an eating Same, disorder. Mary. Same. And, Same. And it, I truly, it gave me an eating disorder because I saw the difference between me and the other people getting cast as the parts that I knew that I could play. 
And it was, it was weight. And I said, okay, maybe if I change myself, they'll see me differently instead of, okay, let's make space for human beings to have space to tell their own stories. Yeah. I um, am going to bounce off that just because I, most people have their own traumas in their communities and in their uh, education. Um, It, it shouldn't have taken me <laughs> going to outside sources that is not a grad school or an undergraduate degree for me to realize that I have autonomy over myself. Yeah. So like, that's what it's taken. And I will say in showcase, I also had a showcase and I painted a red wall red because nobody was seeing me. I literally sang big black man from full Monty. I'm no, I'm nary anybody 70 years old, but I literally sang it, scrouted my ass off, tumbled across the stage, did everything that I needed to do to book an agent and to book casting and like the things that I was up for. And it's like, I, and then years later, like I had to work on like being still and being enough with like my silence and stillness. Yeah. But then like, it's also the difference in, in that's why I say you have, you sometimes have to take ownership. And like, I learned this from my elders, watching my elders and meeting like people like LaDonna Burns and meeting people like James Jackson and meeting people that like work for rock the audition. That was like, you listen to the music, you try out these things. What sounds good in your voice? What stories do you relate to? I sing Bon Jovi's dead or alive. You know what that's going to do? That's going to come across very differently because I am a black man period. Right. But it shouldn't take that long for somebody to be like, well, what do you listen to? What do you like? Now, I also understand I'm a college professor at many colleges. Um, you have to teach and you have to educate. So I have the conversation a lot that I'm just like, so this is going to be a teaching tool. Even if you do not relate to it, this is a teaching tool. However, what do you like? What do you love? And when I'm building books, I go back and I ask people, I do this. I start building books day one. I start building technique and books day one, because that's where you should start. By the time you get to senior year, if you're trying to build a book and you don't have one, it's a little too late. Um, That's my own personal opinion. However, bringing it back, um, I think that you should love everything in your book. If you don't love it, when you wake up every day, it should not be in there because you, your full self will not come across. And that's the other thing. That's what I love about RTA. And that's what I love about pop music. A lot of times, a lot of people have issues getting into these things where they've only seen people that do not look like them do it on stage in rooms, be easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl on it. And that has never been like some other people's experiences. So that therefore, that's why they have issues, right? My own personal thing. I could getting into golden age quotes. I had an issue doing that. But you know what my way in was standards. Of course it should have been standard. That's where I saw black people. And when I grew up in my house, listening to Nancy Wilson and Nat King Cole and Etta and built like you as an educator also go repeating, have to do your research. You have to do your research. That way you can lead in a way that is going to be beneficial and not dramatic. Oh, beautiful. Mary brought up an amazing point that I feel is often th- there are two marginalized identities that are, that are, talked about but it uh, the intersectionality of the two is not often which is weight bias and racism um aesthetics and the aesthetics of the western canon are entirely rooted in racism entirely rooted in this um anglo european standard of beauty and 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 aesthetics and something that it just plagues our industry that is so not talked about is the sense that that is completely the reason why I'm so hyper aware every time I see a show, I'm in a show, I'm in a, on a cast list. I am hyper aware that I may or may not be the only 
per, one person of color on that list, but two, a fat person on that list as well. That is something I, anytime I see something, I'm just so like, okay, is there a single person above a size six in this ensemble or anything? Um, and two, and for me as a, like we're going to go down the list as a fat, non-binary, indigenous, Latinx, um, disabled person, being fat in this industry scares me the most. Of all of those things, that is what scares me the most is because it is the thing that has, in college, put me most in a box. And that is such... The the, the fact that we do not talk enough about that is rooted in anti-blackness. That is rooted in anti-indigenous um, ways of thinking and education systems. And it is compl- it is entirely possible to eradicate that frame of thought. I entirely believe that. And, and, and it should be happening in a in all of our universities, but it is the fact that people are not willing or, or not, I shouldn't say not willing. Most people I've seen are willing. I should say most people don't know how to find or know what the resources to know what the proper way to go about that is. Because now I feel like we talked about earlier in this, in this era of what is cancel culture. Um, people are afraid to sometimes ask for help on things like that. But at the same time, my this is my own mental mind being Mark going, a Google is a very powerful thing. Like, Ooh. a Google is such a powerful thing you can use. It is available to pretty much almost anyone on the planet um, at this point who has access to the internet. So I there's times I, I, I try to give grace and there's times as like, as a many marginalized facet person, I'm like, I don't got no time for grace. You have a Google you have the internet. Um, but yes, but that was, that was something, a point I just wanted to bring up about that because it is an insane inter like very, like not a, a causation that we don't talk about a lot because we think about correlations of marginalized communities, but there's not, there's not too many causations. Like this is the cause of another thing. That is one of them. And we forget that a lot. Honey, I haven't forgotten. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I should say that. Those those of us on the inside never forget. Um, I pretty much feel like all of us talking have to deal with this because I come to it from the standpoint, they hear my voice. They're like, I, had, I, I was actually told this with hairspray that they're like, you are amazing, but you're too trim and youthful looking to be motor mouth, but too large to be a dynamite. Now, this is the thing. Mm. This is what, what this is what happens when you have white men in charge of everything. Yes. Because if you know your history, the women of Motown look like me. Yes. Okay. Hey, yeah. oh, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> the reason Diana Ross was so controversy and he put her in front was because she was the skinny one. And she had that light voice that was palatable to the white ear. So (laughs) this has been my big sticking point with my career and how I've been trying to change things. Because what people don't, what I know is not seen in our industry is a person like me. I don't have role models, really. Mm -hmm. I figured it out. I don't fit into a box. I'm not your big black woman. 
And I'm not going to gain weight to be a big black woman, but I'm also not going to lose a lot of weight to be some skinny mini because that's not how I like to look. And that's not how my man likes me to look. With me because, oh, because I have the curves. So y'all need to understand Roman sexy and juicy is where it's at. People like the curves. Y'all need to get with the program. I'm done. And it's culture. Now, keep, will you keep going and tell us what you would like to see for yourself whenever the industry opens back up? Honestly, I'm coming after all these roles that are only done by white women in leads. Mm-hmm. Period. No, period. I can be, I'm every woman. It's all in me. Thank you, Shana. <laughs> Oh, yes. I can't wait, LaDonna. <laughs> mm. I can't wait. Mary, what about you? Prior to the sh- uh, industry shutdown amidst COVID and everything, um, I was lucky enough to work um, with the absolutely incredible and very conscious uh, Tina Landau and her team on the first national SpongeBob tour. Um, I was a swing and I covered a million and one tracks um, ranging from like Pearl, but including things like Larry the Lobster and the male ensemble as well. Um, And I say that because I want two things. I want stories that frame marginalized people of all kinds. I want disabled people. I want fat people. I want people of color. I want marginalized people of all shapes, sizes, and colors in their multitudes and truth on stage without it being edited or about how they struggle because of their identity. I just want them living as themselves, number one. (laughs) And number two, I, I want our autonomy in our storytelling back. If you think about the original root of storytelling and why we tell stories and telling stories around fires for progeny to learn and grow from our experiences, that was people talking about their own experiences and having ownership over how they're going to be passed down for generations. And If you think about actors as we exist right now, we have no ownership and no autonomy, as I've said, in the experience of our storytelling. We are sold, as we've talked about, as products to present someone else's words and someone else's truth, when obviously that's part of what acting is. But I don't want to have to sacrifice parts of myself to tell stories. That's what I want. Yes. Come on. Come on. Mark, your turn. Oh, um, you know, as I'm a person who pretty much does not know the, would not, would does not can never know what the industry would be like before this, this, you know, this grand event happening, you know, I've had an opportunity to do summer stock and EMC. So like there's some interaction I've had with the real world, but like as a full blown professional, like I come now going to come from a generation that we don't know anything but this world at the moment. And hopefully we're going to, we are going to get out of it. Not hopefully we're going to go back to not just what we were, but better versions of what we were. But what I would love to see is kind of piggybacking off of what Mary said about seeing every 
people of every color of every marginalized community on stage, but I also want to see them tying into LaDonna in every facet of the industry. I want casting directors of size and color. I want um, disabled playwrights and teleplays and screenplays and fat stories and indigenous stories being told on an exponential level. We got a little hint of what that could feel like with um, shameless plug from Mr. Elijah with strange loop and with uh, uh, slave play and with things like in the Heights and stuff like that. But again, it's blips. I don't want blips. I want, I want uh, what's it's a, uh, those are embers. I want a flame. I want to, I want consistent um, things like that. And also I just want us to figure out how we're going to teach people correctly. That is what I want to figure out, which is what RTA is all about. And I feel like we are on a trajectory for that. Um, yeah, we absolutely are. I'm, I'm looking at people on, on a zoom. Y'all can't see us, but I can see them and I have worked with them and we're doing that. Um, for myself, I, I want to tell stories. I want to tell stories that matter to me. I want to tell stories that I can lead. I want to go see stories that are that are led by people that I love. Um, and for myself, whether that be on TV, film, musicals, play, podcast, I don't care what it is. I want to tell stories and I in the matter that I want to tell them. And I want to collaborate with people that want to tell stories like that. Um so that that's where I sit. Let's let's open this. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Please get vaxxed up so we can get this industry open, y'all. Okay, we miss it. We miss it. Like yes, absolutely, it pays the bills, but we miss doing the art form. We miss. We and we. You never stop being an artist, but y'all have to miss this too. I know that y'all need some entertainment to get y'all out of some slumps. I know this. So that's my shameless plug with that. Um, Ladonna, Mary, Mark. Sherry, y'all, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Brittany Bigelow, thank you so much. And the Broadway Podcast Network, thank you so incredibly for having us, just giving us a platform to speak unabashedly and some truths and some facts. We really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who is listening for joining us on Cause and Effect. We'll see you next time. Bye. everybody it's sherry sanders thanks for listening to this episode of cause and effect cause and effect is part of the broadway podcast network produced by dory berenstein and alan seals edited by kyle moore and music by courtney bassett and andrew swackhammer of starboard and the phoenix special thanks to stephen farizee thank you and if you like what you hear Don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream. You should also follow me on Instagram (laughs) at rocktheaudition. And to learn more, visit bpn.fm backslash cause and effect. Peace. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.